welcome. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, thank you all for coming this morning. Phil is uh, he's away with his friends who came from Australia, who I awkwardly reintroduced myself. We're sitting over there yesterday. They're not there anymore. Sorry for pointing over there. Um, again, awkward. That's what I do best. Anyways, we are wandering through our 21 days of prayer. We have two or three... Uh, we have three weeks, four weeks of this 21, I guess 21 days of prayer, Jordan. Let's just say three weeks, that is seven days times three. There we go. Uh, 21 days of prayer, and we're going to do three weeks of uh, preaching on prayer and answered prayer. Sam, we got some uh, feedybacky. That's good. That's that fun text stuff that goes on sometimes. And uh, if you want to volunteer, we would love it if you volunteered for us. We can say your name in the middle of the service. It'll be great. Um, Vern is also up there. He's going to be following me on the tech. We got our, uh, I think you guys knew that we got our clicker back. That's exciting. But now the TV over here isn't working. So I don't know where we're going to be throughout this sermon, nor does Vern. So we're going to try to sync up and it should go well. Anyways, in the realm of religion or spirituality, nothing shapes us more than fear or faith. When it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our relationship with God, nothing shapes us more in our religion, in our relationship with God, than fear and faith. There is faith that drives us, but there's fear that holds us back. And sometimes breaking through that fear is something that we can do in order to bring about great faith. Many of your major accomplishments in life have come about in a moment of fear, trying to break through that fear into this whole new world. May I say your first kiss? There's a whole bunch of fear that comes along with your first kiss, but then it's a whole new world once you experience that first kiss. How exciting is that? Amen. I know, I was in grade seven, I went to, uh, uh, this is not a, my first kiss story, sorry, a new story. Um, if you need to know my first kiss story, I got 18 pages. I can't tell my first kiss story. We're going to be here all day. No, I went to uh, my Sir John A. McDonald, my junior high school, and, uh, and, the, and the first thing that we get there, and you start to wander around. If you've ever been to a new school, and it's out of district, you know, in Calgary, big city, so I kind of get to this school, and you have this fear coming in because you know nobody. There is nobody there that you know there, you know, that kind of thing. And I remember being there and walking around, and just walking in circles, and as I walk in circles, there's this... Another kid named Peter Wong. We one day became great friends, but at this moment, you like that sound? No, we don't like that sound. It's not just in my head, is it? Let's just go like, click, click. Hello, online. I'm just going to sit here. This is good. Should I use that mic? No? Are we good? Okay, I'll keep talking. People are excited about me and Peter Wong and being friends. So we walked around in circles, Peter and I. I was fearful. I was grade seven. Everybody else seemed to be having the best time of their lives. But him and I, we had no friends. And eventually one of us, one of us took that effort, took that big leap of faith. Hey. Are you sure you don't want me using our mic? I can good. It's okay. They're doing a great job. We could clap during this point. Right? Yeah, you guys are doing a great job. We good now? Hey, there you go. 
Um, so that we got around and finally we became great friends because one of us took that step of faith and we're like, hey, my name is Jordan and my name is Peter. And then a lovely history of friendship developed out of that. But there's this moment of fear and trepidation just before you jump into something new. Stuart McLean, we all know Stuart McLean, great storyteller, says this. He considered the hard times of his life, all the things he had been afraid of, all those years wasted. He told himself, because I was terrified of being different. That's why all us 54-year-olds end up looking so much alike. All of us are terrified of being different. We're terrified of being different. We're terrified of stepping out. We're terrified of doing something that would put us out there. It's difficult. Conquering fear brings us into new realities through which we may be able to jump into new places and find new comfort in something that initially brought us fear. As we break over the barriers of fear, you can find a whole new world. Today we're going to talk about two people that jumped over the barrier of, fa- barrier of fear to find new life. Today we're talking about Jairus looking to Jesus to find an answer to prayer for his daughter to bring life. And we're looking at the woman in Galilee. And the woman of Galilee who, who, who took over had so much fear and so much trepidation. Can I use a new mic, you guys? I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, let's do that. Hello. All right. Jerry Seinfeld here with his... Anyways... It's always good to start off a sermon so well. Hey, we could just jump right in there and everybody's happy. Um, So we talk about Jairus and we talk about this woman from Galilee. These are two people that came from very, very different backgrounds, very, very different ways of life, very, very different places in life. And they came to the same conclusion. And that conclusion is Jesus. Today we're going to look at the book of Mark first. So we're going to kind of be in Mark for a while. And uh, actually the whole time. And what happens in the book of Mark is there's something that is called a Markin sandwich, if you've heard of that before. And a Markin sandwich is when he has a story, there's a story that develops, and then in the middle of that story, his ADD comes in, and it just flips us to a brand new story. And he goes through that story, much like my talking, and he goes through a brand new story, and then he heads right back to the first story. So that's what we're going to try to do today. We're going to try to have a bit of a Mark and Sandwich. I'm going to bring to us the idea of what Mark is trying to talk about. And then we're going to look at this story in the middle to see how that reflects on the greater plot of Mark. And then go back and see how that applies to our lives. There's a lot of stuff going on up here. So we have stories. Stories have five elements to them. There's a plot, there's settings, there's characters, there's a point of view, and there's always a conflict. Any good story has conflict. So we look at the plot. A plot has the beginning and the middle and the end. It has everything that needs to go on. And then you have the setting, and we're going to be in Galilee. And then you're going to have a subplot to a good story. And that's Jairus, and then a sub-subplot is going to be the woman from Galilee. And these are the characters. And throughout a story... The author will try to take you to a point of view. And that point of view is going to be something that, uh, that, that you either first person, second person, or third person, how you view this story. And as we view this story today, 
We're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at a much, a many different places that you come from. But the main point of view in the book of Mark is obviously Jesus. So to begin our, um, our book of Mark, we're going to look at here. And there, it'll come up there. There's three things that, there's five things that actually happen in the first chapter of the book of Mark. We see John the Baptist, he comes into the picture. And so Mark is kind of setting up what's going to happen throughout the book of Mark. So John the Baptist comes in and he prepares the way. And Isaiah speaks about, and there's a, there's a prophecies about who John is. And John the Baptist is Elijah coming forward. And then John the Baptist says, he says, I'm here to prepare the way for the one who will bring the true kingdom. John the Baptist then prepares the way for Jesus. And as Jesus becomes baptized, we know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are together at once. And the dove of the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And then we can assume that the rest of the time that Jesus is walking through uh, Galilee, going about his business, he is accompanied by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's important here because God calls him his son. And what does he do? In verse 14 and 15, it says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The new kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the people of old, the prophets of old, have been talking about who is coming. And the one who comes is Jesus, and he is here to bring the good news. And what is that good news about the new kingdom of God? And that new kingdom of God comes in, and it works with people, because the next thing he does is he calls his disciples. And so he calls his disciples, and this is not just the work of Jesus coming and kind of taking over and ruling by himself. He walks with people, and he works with people. And then the next thing he does in the first chapter is he starts to drive out demons. Phil talked about this last week, the, uh, the idea of pushing against the, the spiritual powers and the spiritual forces. This new kingdom is not just of this world. This new kingdom is of, of a world beyond. This new kingdom is a place where we can come into and we can, be, uh, and, and we can, and we can experience stuff that's in our physical world, but also apart from our physical world. And the next thing that he does, it says he heals many. So the book of Mark is laid out for us. That there's a good news coming of a new kingdom that fights against spiritual forces in the spiritual realm, and it'll bring healing. So the characters in the plot have been established for the book of Mark. There's an action that's coming. There's a call to action. And what is that action? The action is to repentance to find the new kingdom and to establish God's kingdom. This action is not a threat, but it's good news. See, the thing is, when people see a new kingdom coming in, they're going to see it as a threat. Because this new kingdom, this good news, is for the people on the outside. The people that are cast to the side, who are cast into the doubt, who are cast to the side, that, that don't really know who Jesus is. That is who this is for. The people that, that have been pushed to the outside by society. The people that don't like the good news of the kingdom who are already on top of the, new, of the old kingdom. The people that are on top of the old king don't want a new kingdom coming in because they have established their place already. So Mark lays out for us that there's a new kingdom coming. 
And when the new kingdom comes, we know that there is a kingdom for the future, and we understand about heaven. We understand that, that we are here, but we also, as Christians, we believe in eternity. And we believe in eternity when the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem here with God forever. But eternity is also for the now and the not yet. And Mark clearly talks about that it's for the now and the not yet. Jesus is coming to bring his kingdom here to earth. And that's a big part of what we're going to learn about today. It's about God's kingdom coming to earth. You can see uh, as you walk through in the book of Mark, you see different little parts happening. And you see in Mark 2 and 3 that Jesus starts to heal on the Sabbath and does things on the Sabbath. And the old kingdom would say that there's a Sabbath and there's rules that we have to follow, rituals that we have to follow. And if you don't follow those rules and rituals, then you're messing everything up and you become unclean. Unclean is a big part of what we're going to be talking about today. Because Jesus comes to bring cleanliness for everybody, not just a select few. And a big part of the kingdom, as, you, as you've gone through the Bible, and you, if you've read the Bible much in your life, you often hear, for those who are willing to hear, or all those who can hear, let them hear. And in Mark chapter 4, there's a, there's a parable about sending seeds and, and sowing seeds. And it says a number of times, for those who have an ear, let them hear. And this kingdom message is for those who have an ear to let them hear. This is not a, a, a message of exclusivity where you can't hear and you can't hear. I've chosen who can hear and who can't hear. People that can hear this message have allowed themselves to come to a place where they can see the message. And that place is small. That place is humble. That place is on the outside. Because in Mark chapter 4, we also see that the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Anybody coming into a kingdom, anybody coming into a new place, anybody thinking, hey, there's a new kingdom coming. The King David is coming again. We're going to see the new kingdom. What is it going to look like? It's not going to look like a mustard seed. But if anybody is willing to see that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, something that nobody would have ever predicted before, that's who the kingdom of God is for. And the kingdom of God is for the least of these. The kingdom of God is for those who are pushed to the outside. The kingdom of God is for those who the old kingdom deems unclean. With any story, we see conflict. And as conflict arises, we see opposition arising. The rule of God's established power. Power struggles create conflict. When a new kingdom comes in, there's always going to be a war. There's always going to be fighting against the new kingdom. There's always going to be a pushback. Nobody likes something new. Everybody likes something old. We like to stay in our safety of something old. God says that I'm doing something new, and that something new is for the outsider. So everybody's happy except for the people that are on the inside right now, except for the people that have already established their kingdoms. Then this kingdom is a kingdom of fear. But for everybody that is on the outside, everybody that is hurting, everybody that is weak. That is who the kingdom is for. We see the bigger picture in Mark chapter 10 talks about the children coming. The children coming. Come like a child. Come innocent. Come small. Come weak. Come to me, and I will give you love and rest and care. And the next verse, it talks about the rich man wanting to come into the kingdom of God. 
when we rely on ourselves, that kingdom gets pushed to the side. But when we humble ourselves, we can experience the new kingdom. The conflict comes from transformation of cosmic and social orders. The social orders have been flipped upside down. The traditions are challenged. The Sabbath, the uncleanliness, the separation, traditions are, are of boundaries. Traditions are for boundaries. Boundaries are to guard against those who are unclean. The authorities in Mark's story set up boundaries to separate themselves from the clean and the unclean. These boundaries were meant to separate themselves from lepers, from the women who bleed, and from those which are dead, the corpses. But Jesus wants to come and bring new life into this world. Our kingdoms that we all want to establish are centered upon ourselves. But Christ says, and the book of Mark talks about, centering ourselves on Jesus. Everything of our lives being centered around the glory of God, not the glory of man. This new kingdom ruptures the traditional boundaries of God. And God becomes available to everyone. That is the key that we see in the book of Mark, that this new kingdom is available to everyone. Everyone. We know this verse so well, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it says, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. The old kingdom would have came to condemn. The new kingdom comes to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We love darkness instead of light. Darkness can keep us into that, into that place of hiding. But darkness and light can't stand together. Fear and faith can't stand together. Mark makes it clear that he wants to drive out fear from this world by showing the supremacy of Christ and his kingdom and showing the power of his great works, but by showing the humble nature of our king. When your fear is great, but your need is greater, that's when you can hear the message of the new kingdom. So today we hear two stories. We're going to hear two stories of people's fear being great, but their need being greater. And maybe you've come here today, and you have a fear you have a sickness, you have an illness, you need healing, you need something in your heart. But your fear of stepping past that brokenness is keeping you from coming into the great light of who Jesus is. I want to say that again. When your fear is great, but your need is greater, that's when you can begin to hear the message of God's new kingdom. That's when you can see that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Something that we just didn't expect. So Mark chapter 5, that's where we're going to be for the rest of our time. Speaking of time, does anybody know what time it is? Nobody? 1 p.m. Oh, boy. That was good. Amen. Go in peace. What time? 11.20. All right. I timed myself yesterday. 57 minutes for the introduction. So we're okay. When you read a story, you want to engage in a story. 
We're going to see this now, this Mark and Sandwich with Jairus, who comes desperate to Jesus, flipping over to the woman from Galilee, and then flipping back. What I want to encourage you to do today as we read through this is I want, to pl- I want you to prayerfully place yourself in a point of view. And as we read the story, we'll have different opportunities to be from, from Christ's point of view, from Jairus' point of view, from the women's point of view, from the crowd's point of view. It's important in a prayer life to be able to stop and to see where people are coming from. So Jairus and a dead little girl and the healing of a sick woman. Until disaster strikes, Jairus, Jairus' daughter, a 12-year-old, almost old enough in that culture to being married. She is now very, very sick, apparently about to die. Without letting sentimental imagination run away with us, we can see easily enough the agonized household, the distraught father, hope slipping away like sand through the sieve. And then word arriving that the strange teacher has just come back from across the lake. Jairus pockets his pride and forgets his fear. Why worry about whether whether a controversy or a political danger, whatever is going on, why worry about the consequences when my daughter is dying? He rushes off to see Jesus throwing himself at his feet. Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, Jairus was a president of a synagogue, a small town. Nothing like a massive job, not, not a huge, important political job, but a job nonetheless that he, had, that he had reasons to not associate with Jesus. Jairus was a religious leader, and, and, and they knew about the stories of Jesus. But if you were to go near Jesus, if you were to associate with Jesus, you would be disassociating yourself with the Pharisees. You'd be disassociating yourself with where you're at and possibly costing yourself a job, possibly costing yourself status. So Jairus comes, and he fell at the feet of Jesus. So Jairus comes from a place of power, a place of influence, A place of understanding that in the world's eyes, I am separate. I need to be separate from this. But he comes in desperation, seeing that there is an issue, seeing that there is pain in his daughter's life. And there is only one solution, and that is to come to the feet of Jesus. He pleads earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. That desperation, that prayer of a father, breaking across the boundaries that lay there from the old world to the new world, coming in fear, saying, I have fear. I have something that is separating me from doing this, but I'm going to break through that fear. And he comes and he feeds. He he pleaded with him, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. It's important that we see that Jesus went with him. It's important that we see that Jesus goes on the journey with him to his daughter. There's a number of reasons, and we're going to get to some of those reasons a little bit later. But it's important that Jesus goes on the journey with him. And then this Mark and Sandwich takes a real left turn. 
The story of the older woman keeps us in suspense. You can see, um, you can see Jairus there as he's going to get to his daughter. He's, 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 he's anxious and he's scared and he's fearful, but he knows that Jesus is in tow and he can get Jesus there. She'll be healed. Even if he just says he, she could be healed, she'll be healed in that moment. He knows that. But then Jesus stops. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. We're going to see this story of a woman. A woman on the outside. A woman that nobody for the last 12 years has ever come in contact with. I'm going to read this story in full, and then we're going to get back to that. They went across the lake. Oh, yeah, here we go. We'll pick it up when Jairus falls at his knees. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of man, high God? Oh, that is the wrong story. I'm sorry, everybody. There we go. Next page. A large, there we go. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and they touched his cloak. Because she thought that if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, he said to the disciples, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. We see this story developing. We see a large crowd gathering and pressing in around. We've been in large crowds before, I presume. Now, some of us would almost like to go back to a few years ago during COVID when we all had a six-foot boundary around us. We didn't need to be in large crowds at that point. We could walk around. You ever see those, those videos of people with big hula hoops around them walking around? Don't touch me. We had some separation. But have you ever been in a large crowd? Like, I'm talking a large crowd. April of 2001, I had the, uh, the honor of going to a U2 concert. Always exciting. We stood in line for six hours, waiting just to get in, because if you're first in line, you get to be first at the top of the stage. And so I waited for six hours, standing there. And then the doors opened, we all rushed in, and I was right at the tip of the stage, Bono was going to be out there. The edge was going to be out there. I could almost grasp the, the, the hem of, no, I can't say that. I, can't, I could almost touch Bono. So close. Crushed in there. Then the opening act came. The concert lasted another six hours. I was crushed up, pressed up against the, the front barrier. At one point, my hat came off, and it ended up on the stage, and Bono wore my hat. Hallelujah. Take that story with me. Nobody can fact check it, and that's okay. 
But I was pressed up, and there was a crowd around me, and I could not move. Young, healthy, I could have I pushed my way through. This is the type of crowd that this woman is up against. This woman had been there and been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Reason number 3,247 that we need more women preachers this next little bit. But here I am. We're going to stay in this place for a little bit. We're going to stay in the fact that this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She is physically in pain, so intense, week by week, month by month, year by year, there is no relief for what she's going through. The fear, the trepidation, and the feeling of being an outcast would have been insurmountable. I'm going to read something from Leviticus chapter 15. And it may make you uncomfortable, but it also will make me uncomfortable to read it. But here we go. This is what happens in the old kingdom when there is someone who is unclean. When a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. A little science lesson for everybody. You're welcome. And anyone who touches her will be unclean until that evening. Anything... Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone she touches will be unclean. That is important. Anyone who she touches will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and then they will be unclean until evening. I'm going to skip ahead. When a woman has a regular discharge of blood many days in a row, other than her month of period, her discharge then continues beyond her period. She will be unclean for as long as that happens. And then after that, she will be unclean. After it stops, she will then be unclean for two, another seven days. So that's half of the month that women were not allowed to associate with other people. Half of the month. Half of the time that you are around, you are not allowed. You are, you are deemed unclean. This woman has been living 12 years of uncleanness. As much as it's uncomfortable for you to hear me say that, and as much as it's uncomfortable for me to say that to you, how much more difficult would it have been for this woman to live with this for 12 years? This woman from Galilee, in pain, in suffering, and totally alone. She has suffered, in verse 26 says, she has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Out of total desperation and the hope that someone can make her clean, she spent all her money. She spent everything she had. She was absolutely desperate. I had a conversation this week with someone who had literally spent all that they had just to be better, just to feel normal, just to be back into a realm of humanity with other people. We spend, we go, we're going to do this because we want to be clean, we want to be healthy, we want to be healed. She spends all that she has. She looks in the places, and they all lead to nowhere. There had been silence for 400 years. There had been silence and no healing. But she knows when she hears about Jesus that she needs to find him. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
and immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She had heard about the miracles. She had heard about the walking of water. She had heard about the traditional ideas that had been flipped on their head. She had heard about Jesus taking center storage of center story in this Galilean story. She had heard the stories, and what does she do? She takes a moment to be brave. She pushes through the crowd. As she pushes through the crowd, she knows that people will see her. She knows that people will, will hear. She probably, I can picture her down on her knees, walking through the crowd so weak. Knowing she's risking everything. Because as you come into this place, as you come into a place and you're unclean, you're making other people unclean, the anger is not going to go away easily from those people. And she sees Jesus. And she risks it all. She reaches out in desperation and grasps the hem of his garment. And immediately, her body was healed. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? She knew right away that it was her. We can see this scene developing. The crowd stops. Silence falls upon everybody. She's there on her knees looking up, weak, frail, but now healing has entered her. People stand back. What is this religious man going to do to me? She knows her experience from religious people before. She knows her experience from the Pharisees where they is not looked on kindly. Now she's reached up, out and touched the hem of the garment of God. I could be in serious trouble, she thinks. She knew that she had no hope except for Jesus. I had to do it. I had to reach out to you. I had to reach out to you. You are my last hope. Doctors can't help me, but maybe you can help me. And then verse 32 says this, but Jesus, but Jesus, we could do a whole sermon series on the big butts of the Bible. But Jesus, but Jesus kept looking around. But Jesus wanted to see what had happened. But Jesus knew something had happened. But Jesus knew someone was hurting. He's on his way to heal a little girl. But Jesus knew that there was another story that he wanted to talk to. He wanted to reach out. He wanted to heal. He wanted to bring life to somebody else. But Jesus wants to enter into your story. But Jesus cares about you. But Jesus doesn't care about the beginning. He cares about the journey. He cares about the end. And he cares about being with you. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, there's a supernatural power in the new kingdom, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter. At the beginning, at the baptism, God says, this is my son. Now God says, this is my daughter. That fear that she felt, that, and that, that trepidation that she felt, that, that reaching out, what is going to happen to me after I reach out and grab that hem? It could be disastrous for me. It's not disastrous. She's now his daughter. She's entered the kingdom of heaven. That prayer of desperation enters us into the kingdom of heaven. 
That prayer that you might have, the desperation where your health and your, your mindset and life is not going the way you want it. That last-ditch prayer of desperation, reaching out for the hem of the garment of Jesus, will bring you life, will bring you freedom, will bring you into the new kingdom of God. Immediately, he said, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She didn't just get a healing from what she's been dealing with. She got to go in peace. That peace was lifted off her. That weight that she had carried for 12 years has been lifted off of her. That understanding that she is alone forever is now gone because she has the peace of Jesus. Because you are my daughter. We go back to Jairus with this sandwich. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I'm sure he's thinking, and, and, and it comes into our thoughts sometimes. There's this little girl. We see this story from, from far off, but there's this little girl just beginning her life. And Jesus stopped to heal this woman who's later on in years, but this little girl died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus walked along the journey with this man, saw this woman, was touched and brought healing, and now is going to bring healing again. Leaping over the bounds of uncleanliness. People that were lepers, people that were, people that were bleeding, and people that were dead are deemed unclean. The new kingdom of God says those things are from the old. Those things are the past. I bring you cleanliness. I bring you unity. I bring you life. After he put them all out, he came, he came with the child's father and the child's mother. He took her by the hand. And said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Jesus touched these lives. and These lives were changed. You may be in a place where you need that touch from the king. You may be in a place where your life seems desperate. Your life seems over. Your life seems ended. But I want to assure you that a touch from the king can change everything. There's a list of people that Jesus touched or touched by Jesus in the Bible. And you will see one constant theme throughout this list that I'm going to read. That there is no constant theme throughout this list that I'm about to read. From every background, every lifestyle, every way of, of humanity, Jesus reached out and touched those on the outside. He cared for those on the outside. He cared for those on the inside. He cared because he loves humanity. Who did Jesus touch to bring new life to? A despised tax collector, an insane hermit, a Roman governor, a young boy, a prominent religious leader, a homemaker, an expert in religious law, a criminal, a synagogue leader, a fisherman, a king, a poor widow, a Roman captain, a group of young children, a prophet, an adulterous woman, the Jewish high council, a sick woman, a rich man, a blind beggar, a Jewish political leaders, 
a group of women, a high priest, an outcast with leprosy, a government official, a young girl, a traitor, a helpless and paralyzed man, an angry mob of soldiers and guards, a woman from a foreign land, a doubting follower, an enemy who hated him, and a Samaritan woman. Jesus reached out and touched and cared for every single one of them. As we came into the beginning of this stumbling through this Mark and Sandwich with our sound issues and all, we get to this place where I want to encourage you. If you've come in here with pain, if you've come in here with hurt, if you've come in here separated, a touch from God, a touch from the King can and will change everything. There's a story of a semicolon. Is there a semicolon up there? In 2015, there was a story of a, a girl, in 2017 actually, a girl committed suicide. But in 2013, her father, who had took his own life, she decided to, to make a statement and a story to help with mental health issues. And she thought about this semicolon. And a semicolon is used when an author could have cha chosen to keep the sentence going. A semicolon is used when an author could have chosen to end their sentence, but choose not to. The author is you. We've been given a life sentence. And sometimes we feel like that sentence has come to an end. But Jesus is our great semicolon that carries on our story. We get to one place and there's a semicolon that says, let's continue that story. Let's continue that story on to bring in life and bring in freedom away from the ugly, away from the uncleanliness, and walk into him being full and alive. Paul Harvey, the American great storyteller, says this, that that's the rest of the story. And I want to encourage us all that Jesus is the rest of our story. Jesus is the rest of your story. If you've come in here hurting, desperate, and in pain, Jesus is the rest of your story. If you've come in here alone, Jesus is the rest of your story. It doesn't end here. There's no period here today. There's a semicolon that carries on your story to keep on going. So from the book of Mark, we see this. We acknowledge the bravery of Jairus and the woman from Galilee. And we acknowledge that Jesus will accept us in whatever state we're in. Wherever you've come from today, whatever baggage you have, we all have it. And Jesus says, come to me. And the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed that no one expects to do such great things, but can bring great, great healing. And the worship team to come up. We're going we're gonna to end with a song. I'm no longer a slave to fear is the song that I think we're going to end with this, this morning. We're going to ask the elders if they want to come up and some pastors and people on the prayer team that if you want prayer, if you're looking for healing, if you are at a place of desperation where you just say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I need that one last bit of healing. I need my life not to end on a period. I need there to be a semicolon, this sentence to go on.
I need my life to continue. I want to invite you up this morning for prayer. I want to invite you to take some time to talk to someone and go from that place of fear into faith. Because as you go over the line of fear, there's a whole new world of peace waiting for you there. God bless.